I also want to read for us this morning from Hebrews chapter 13, the first two verses. Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, even as you have shown us the grace of hospitality, so may we imitate you and show hospitality to one another and indeed all those around us. We pray that you would empower us and make us wise now through the reading and preaching of your word. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen. The art of hospitality has been largely lost in our culture. Oh, sure, we have a massive hospitality industry where we can pay people to show us hospitality. But as far as having one another into our homes and sharing our lives with one another in in such a close way, hospitality does not seem to be as much a way of life as it once was. Uh, There is no question that our culture is fragmented, isolated, and divided. Uh, This is even true in the church, and that's especially troublesome because Scripture puts a real premium on hospitality as a rhythm of life for the Christian, right along with other rhythms of the Christian life, like attending worship regularly and praying, these other basic responsibilities. Hospitality is right there as well. It's just supposed to be something we do as the people of God. Consider some passages besides just the Hebrews 13 passage that I just read for us, which shows us that hospitality is a way of allowing brotherly love to continue on among us. Consider some other passages that speak to hospitality as well. Romans 12, 13 calls on us to contribute to the needs of the saints and to show hospitality. 3 John verse 8 commands hospitality or support to be given to faithful teachers of the truth. Missionaries or teachers who have gone out should be supported by the faithful hospitality of God's people. 1 Peter 4, 9 tells us to be hospitable to one another without grumbling. And that's because it's easy to grumble when you're showing hospitality because it's hard and it's expensive and things can get dirty or broken in your home. But Peter says don't grumble when you show hospitality. Make it a joy. Show hospitality with joy. Isaiah 58 verse 7 describes what hospitality is, what it should look like. It's to share your bread and to bring the poor into your house. It's to clothe the naked. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, we find that Hospitality is so important, it is a requirement for officer candidates in the church. If a man's going to be considered for an office in the church, he must show hospitality. In other words, hospitality is not just women's work. First uh, Timothy 5 does single out and praise older women who have shown hospitality, but hospitality is something men should be every bit as involved in. In First Timothy 3 and Titus 1, you see that. A man should lead his family into hospitality by his example and by his service. In Job chapter 31, Job proves his righteousness. Job proves he is a righteous man by saying he has always opened his home. He's always opened his doors to those in need, to travelers. And so no strangers had to lodge in the street. Nobody was sleeping under the bridge in Job's town because he brought strangers into his home. 
In Genesis 18 and 19, you have some very instructive teaching about hospitality. In Genesis 18, Abraham shows hospitality to three strangers who turn out to be angels or divine figures. Meanwhile, that contrasts with Sodom in Genesis 19, which refuses to show hospitality to visitors in need and so faces divine judgment. Hospitality marks out Abraham as faithful. A lack of hospitality marked out Sodom as depraved. In Judges chapter 13, Manoah, uh, the father of Samson, is visited by an angel and offers hospitality in the form of a meal. In Judges 19, Gibeah does not show hospitality and thus faces judgment like Sodom. You see it again and again. Hospitality is the mark of the faithful. Its lack is the mark of the wicked. And all this fits with Matthew 25, the great white throne judgment passage where the sheep are separated from the goats. How will we be judged at the last day? How will we be identified as God's people at the last day? Well, it will be according to our show of hospitality and mercy to those in need. Things like caring for the sick, visiting the prisoner, feeding the hungry, and so on. These are the things that mark out the sheep who then enter into the joy of their master's inheritance forever and ever. It's these marks of hospitality that show the sheep to be God's people. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 18, describes God's concern for the fatherless and the widow and the stranger, how God, in His justice and His righteousness, gives food and clothing to these who are in need. So God is hospitable to those who are in need. And so the next verse, Deuteronomy 10, 19, goes on to say we should show love to strangers in the same way. Just as God has been hospitable, so we should be hospitable as well. Deuteronomy chapter 14 commands the Israelites to include the orphans, widows, strangers, and Levites. Those would be the priests or the pastors. They should include these groups of people in their feasts because these groups don't have a land inheritance of their own in Israel. And so the people of Israel were to show hospitality to them so they would be included in the feasts. Now we also find in Scripture there are boundaries on hospitality. There are times where you should not show someone hospitality. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 reminds us we should not be hospitable to recognized hypocrites who have been marked out by the elders of the church. To those who claim to be Christians, they claim to be brothers, but they're under the discipline of the church because of unrepentant sin. In those cases, you can't act like everything is fine. And so Paul says, do not even eat with such a person. In 2 John, verses 10 and 11, uh, we're reminded by the apostle that we should not show hospitality to false teachers because we don't want to support them in their mission. We don't want to be promoting their false teaching, their false religion by underwriting it with our hospitality. And so there's another limit on hospitality you can show. But otherwise, we should cast the net of hospitality as wide as possible. Hospitality is all over the place in the Scriptures. An emphasis on hospitality is found in literally every part of the Bible. It's not an option. Will we or won't we show hospitality? It is a sacred obligation God has imposed upon us. It is a sacred obligation for the people of God. There are a lot of different ways to practice hospitality. There's no one right way to do it in every case, but we do have to practice it in some way. You know, I won't tell you you have to use this recipe or do it in just this way. It's got to look just so. Scripture doesn't do that. But we do have 
this obligation. And this is because hospitality is simply the outflow of the gospel in our lives. God's love flows into our lives and then flows back out in the form of hospitality. God has been hospitable to us and now we must be hospitable to others. Throughout the history of the church, I think this has been well understood, especially at many of the high points along the way in the history of God's people. In the early church, the hospitality of Christians towards one another and towards outsiders was a powerful witness. Christians were living in the hostile Roman Empire, subject to constant persecution. And yet Christians were faithful in showing hospitality. It was said of the early Christians, they shared their board, but not their beds. They were promiscuous with their pocketbooks, but exclusive in their worship. The way Christians loved one another astounded the world around them. See how they love one another was the astonished cry of those in the Roman Empire who had never seen anything like this. A love that broke down barriers, that crossed race and class lines. The ancient world was an incredibly stratified society almost anywhere you go with very firm boundaries between different ethnic groups and different classes of people socioeconomically. And Christians just busted through all of those barriers, showing hospitality across those kinds of lines. Christians routinely welcomed people into their homes who ordinarily didn't belong there. They cared for one another and met one another's needs. And that's why the church not only survived, but thrived in a hostile environment. And as the Roman civil order was breaking down, and disintegrating, the church emerged as the only institution capable of holding society together. And because of the church's faithfulness and showing hospitality in such hard times, the church was given incredible cultural dominion, power to transform the culture, essentially creating a Christian civilization. Not perfect, but faithful. At the time of the Reformation, Hospitality re-emerged as a Christian virtue. Today is Reformation Sunday, where this is Reformation 501. We're celebrating the 501st anniversary of the Reformation this week. The Reformers were known for their hospitality. Uh, We think of the Reformation as a doctrinal movement, but you can also think of it as a movement of God's Spirit to make His people hospitable. This is certainly true of Martin Luther. Uh, He and his wife Katie were famous for hosting countless guests in their home uh, with good company gathered around the table with good food, uh, with good beer that Katie had brewed herself. Luther would sit around the table, especially with students and and travelers, and he would answer their questions. They would hold discussions uh, with one another about theological issues and the issues of the day. And actually, many of those were written down and eventually published as a book known as Luther's Table Talk. And so you can see how Luther used the table to promote the Reformation. He turned his table into a kind of alternative pulpit. Luther knew that cultural change flows from the dinner table. And so he used the dinner table to his advantage. Hospitality furthered the cause of Reformation. It provided channels for truth to run in. In Geneva, in Switzerland, John Calvin also practiced hospitality. Even as a single man, before he was married, he was known for his hospitality. See, singles can show hospitality as well. Calvin was a good example of this. He later married, and he and his wife continued to show hospitality. But even before that, he was very hospitable. In fact, Calvin lamented how hospitality had been eclipsed in his day. 
listen to these words he wrote and think about how much more relevant they would be even in our day. He said, hospitality has nearly ceased to be properly observed among men, for the ancient hospitality celebrated in the histories is unknown to us, and inns now supply the place of accommodation for strangers. Calvin says, what a shame it is that we have all these inns, these hotels popping up, because now we don't have people staying in our homes as much as we used to. And the, the kind of hospitality celebrated in the histories of the early church, it just doesn't happen today the way that it used to. Calvin, even in his day, could complain about hospitality being commercialized and the church's traditions of hospitality being lost. But Calvin himself stood against that and practiced hospitality. In fact, it's interesting, the population of Geneva doubled during Calvin's years there as the city opened wide its arms to Protestant refugees from all over Europe. Refugees who were being persecuted, who needed a home, a new place to go. And they were welcome in Geneva. And people in Geneva would open up their homes and welcome the refugees in. Once Calvin married, he and his wife opened their home so much so that an acquaintance wrote a letter to Calvin saying, your hospitality in Christ's name is known across Europe. Calvin had this reputation of being a hospitable man. And other bright lights like Theodore Beza and the great John Knox sat around Calvin's table night after night feasting and conversing. And when the discussion would end, Calvin and his guests would often turn to a game of lawn bowling. (laughs) That was what they did for recreation. Calvin uh, enjoyed bowling on his lawn. Uh, He wanted to show his guests a good time. There's that tradition of hospitality. Hospitality is vital because it addresses one of our deepest needs as humans. Our need for connection, our need for human contact, our need to belong. Stanley Hauerwas once said, Nothing is as revealing of human nature as our belly buttons. There's a deeply theological meaning found in your belly buttons. We were each created in community. We each came into being through human union and communion. And just as we are the products of human community, so we were made for human community. We were made for human union and communion. We were made for community. Our need for relationship is as vital as our need for oxygen. Without community, we suffocate. Belonging. Loving and being loved is as fundamental a human need as food and shelter. In fact, it's very hard to get food and shelter without some kind of community. God has made it obvious we are made for each other. We are made for community. It might sound really spiritual to say, all I need is God. God is all I need. And in some sense, of course, that is true. But God himself says it's not good for man to be alone. Even that man, Adam, who had perfect fellowship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, even for him it was not good for him to be alone with God. This is just not how God made us. He made us to find fulfillment and meaning in the context of human relationships. God provides for your needs and God works in you and in your life through other people. 
And this is why hospitality is so important, because hospitality builds just these kinds of relationships. Hospitality supports and builds community. Without hospitality, community withers. Without hospitality, you don't have any community. Hospitality creates society. It creates friendship. We need this deeply in our culture. In our culture, we are facing an epidemic of loneliness. In our society today, people are lonely, and much of this is due to the breakdown of hospitality. When people are lonely and disconnected, they make bad decisions. And in extreme cases, they do really crazy things, as we see again and again. So many of these people who do the shootings or send out the bombs or poison or what have you are people who are completely alone, completely isolated. They lack community, and they go crazy. But in our society, crushing loneliness has largely been normalized. For so many people, it's just how things are now. But it's dehumanizing. We need to see this epidemic of loneliness all around us. We can cure physical diseases with medicine, but the only cure for loneliness is love. Let brotherly love continue by showing hospitality. Practice hospitality. It's the cure for loneliness. Studies actually show that persistent loneliness really is a health hazard. Being lonely day after day cuts as many years off your life as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's how badly we need human contact, human communion. You can literally die of loneliness. You can die from a lack of love. You cannot make it alone, which is why you need to give and receive hospitality. Years ago, Mother Teresa said, the greatest disease in the West today is not TB or leprosy. It's being unwanted, unloved, uncared for. She said the greatest poverty of the West is a different kind of poverty. It's a poverty of relationships. We are materially rich, but we are spiritually and relationally poor. Which means we've chosen the wrong Thing. If you had to choose, it'd be much better to be relationally rich and spiritually rich and materially poor than the reverse. We live in a relationally impoverished society. And so what should the church do? The church should provide a relationally rich alternative to the world. Hospitality is basically a way of befriending the lonely and loving the unwanted. It rehumanizes those who are slowly losing their humanity through isolation. I saw an interview not too long ago with an Australian hospice nurse who had cared for dying patients for years, for decades, and she was interviewed and, uh, and asked about this, and she said consistently, the deepest regrets of the dying had to do with not prioritizing friendships and community the way they wish they had. That people who knew death was near, people who were on their deathbed, their biggest regrets had to do with not investing themselves as much as they had wished they had in other people, in building up community, in friendship. They wished they had connected with others more when they had the chance. And that's really why hospitality is so important because that's what hospitality is all about. It's about building connections with other people. It's about building community. It's about building friendship. 
Jonathan Edwards said, friendship is the highest human happiness. He said the happiness of human society is found in friendship. C.S. Lewis said, friendship is the greatest of worldly goods and the chief happiness of my life. And friendship cannot happen without some form of hospitality. Uh, I caught a a few um, episodes a while back of that TV show, Fixer Upper, that probably a lot of you have watched. I think that's what it's called. It's where uh, a couple is given several different houses they can choose from, which one do they want to buy, and then have fixed up for them. That's going to be renovated, and then they can move into it. And so often when, when, when a couple would come in and look at a house, you know, they, they'd so often say something like, oh, this part of the house would be great for entertaining. And of course they were exactly right. They were right to think about that when choosing a house. But as I saw that happen, I was wondering, you know, if anybody's ever done a follow-up on this to go see how many of those couples who talked about entertaining and hospitality in their choice of a house really follow through on it once they moved in. How many of them really used their homes in that way to show hospitality once they moved in? We talk about hospitality a lot, but do we do it? You know, a lot of us like the idea of sharing our homes. We like the idea, the thought of doing hospitality, but how often do we turn intention into action? And I think we often fail in this because hospitality is hard work. Hospitality is costly. It's sacrificial. Hospitality is expensive in terms of time and money. It requires sacrifice. It requires planning and or a willingness to be spontaneous. But we've seen hospitality is absolutely essential. And so we have to make room for it by making room for one another in our calendars and in our budgets, in our homes, and in our hearts. We have to make space for other people. We have to make room for other people. We have to live hospitable lives. Sometimes we think, oh, I can't really do hospitality right now because of my busyness. And hey, that's true. Sometimes you're in a really busy phase of life where you have an illness or or a death in the family or a newborn child. Hospitality is going to come and go in the seasons of your life. There's no doubt. But sometimes I think we take our busyness as a sign that we are important and that we're doing something right But if we are too busy for hospitality, we are too busy for our own good. We are busier than God wants us to be. We've taken on things God doesn't want us to do because God wants us to do hospitality. And if there's not room in your life for hospitality, there's not room in your life for other people, there's something wrong with that. Hospitality is integral to our humanness and to our faithfulness. Indeed, one of the reasons why hospitality is so essential to who we are as humans and as Christians is that really hospitality traces back to God himself. God is the ultimate host. He is the hospitable one. All hospitality ultimately traces back to the Trinity, to the nature of God himself. God exists necessarily as a trinity of Father, Son, and Spirit. Three persons existing mysteriously as one God. One God who exists in three persons. God exists necessarily as a trinity, but we can say within the trinity, each person of the trinity loves the others. Each person in the trinity invites the others to dwell in him and indwells the others. So the Father makes room for the Son and the Spirit in himself. 
And the Son makes room for the Father and the Spirit in Himself. The persons of the Trinity host one another, if you will. They are hospitable to one another. They welcome one another and have been doing so from all eternity. And so each person of the Trinity acts selflessly towards the others, serving the others, loving the others, glorifying the others. This is what the Trinity is. This is who God is. The Trinity is overflowing love. Love flowing from the Father to the Son in the Spirit and then flowing back from the Son to the Father in the Spirit. And now that love has flowed out into the creation. And we have been wrapped up in this same love. And so now the outgoing, outflowing love of the Father has grabbed hold of us in the Son and has drawn us in. See, Ephesians 2 says, because of our sin, we were strangers to God. Strangers to God's covenant. But in Christ, God has befriended us and adopted us and brought us home and given us a place at His table. God has shown us hospitality. Hospitality in the most literal meaning of the word is love for strangers. God has loved the stranger. We were estranged from God. We were strangers to God. He has loved us and brought us home. He's brought us into His family. And so now our hospitality towards one another is a replication of this. It's patterned after and is an extension of God's intertrinitarian hospitality. Which is to say hospitality points to the deepest meaning of the universe. It points us to who God Himself is as the God who exists in relationships of love from all eternity. And the God who has brought us into these relationships of love, sinners though we are. God exists as a hospitable fellowship of love. And this is why we were made to exist in a web network of loving relationships as well. The church should image God, should image the Trinity. The church should image God's hospitality. The church should be a hospitable fellowship of love where we dwell in one another where we invite one another in to dwell in our lives and in our homes. The church should be a place full of friendship and hospitality, imaging God in this way. God has put this longing for community in our DNA. When He made us in His image, this is what He gave to us. This longing, this craving for community. It's been there from the beginning. Because we are made in the image of the triune God. We are in the image of the living, loving, relational, communal, hospitable God. And when we do these things, when we build human community, when we indwell one another in these relational ways, we are imaging God. And this is why the business of hospitality must be the business of the church. It must be a way of life for the people of God. Hospitality means imitating God. It means living as if people really matter. Hospitality is an embodiment of the gospel. It's showing others the same kind of grace God's shown you. You were naked, God clothed you. You were hungry, God fed you. You were lonely, God befriended you. Now go and do likewise. Do these things for others. Fulfilling the mission of the church requires strong relationships within the body. We can't do the mission God has given us to do as Lone Ranger Christians. We have to do it in community with one another. You know, in Lord of the Rings, Frodo can carry the ring to Mordor, but he couldn't have made it without Sam. He needed another. He needed a companion. 
The mission we've been given to do requires strong community. We need one another to do what God commands us to do. We must be coming together, especially in one another's homes, in transparent, sacrificial, service-oriented ways, sharing meals, sharing our tables, sharing our lives with one another. Even though sometimes Scripture uses the word entertaining for hospitality, it's not entertaining as we think of that. Hospitality is not entertaining. Entertaining is often when you're trying to impress your guests even more than serve them. That's not what hospitality is. It's not putting on a show in your home to impress other people. Hospitality can be fancy, but it certainly doesn't have to be. You can use fine china or you can use paper plates. That's not really the issue. The issue is the human contact and the human community building that takes place. That's what God is after. Relationships of love. Webbing us together in bonds of love, in a fellowship of love. God shows us His hospitality by inviting us to His house for a meal every Sunday. We should imitate His hospitality by having others to our homes and our tables as well. It is a form of lived theology, of putting our theology into practice. It's a way of embodying what we believe. Hospitality towards those outside the church is crucial. Certainly we need to show hospitality to one another. We've emphasized that. But hospitality to those outside the church is crucial as well. It's crucial to the spread of the gospel. Grace becomes contagious around our tables. Grace flows around the tables. As you pass the potatoes, grace is getting passed as well. And grace passes from one person to another. And so hospitality forms a gospel bridge. It makes our homes into a bridge between the church and the world. We wonder, how do we get people from the world into the church? Well, sometimes the best way is for them to pass through your home on their way in. To get them from the world into the church, they need to come through our homes to get there. It's a bridge connecting the church to the world. Hospitality is proof our homes are built on Christ and belong to Christ. Through hospitality, we make our homes into a home for others. That's really what we're called to do, to turn your home into a home for others. Through hospitality, strangers become neighbors and neighbors become brothers. The gospel travels best. It travels fastest on relational lines. The gospel moves on relational tracks. Oh, sure, sometimes somebody becomes a a Christian without meeting another Christian, but that's incredibly rare. It's almost always through a point of contact with another person, a personal relationship, a friendship. Rosaria Butterfield knows this well, and you may know her story. I've talked about her before, and she's written a great deal on this issue that's been very helpful to me. Uh, Rosaria Butterfield was a lesbian activist who then became a Christian and is now actually a pastor's wife. And she largely attributes her conversion and transformation to the hospitality of a Christian family that lived nearby when she was a lesbian university professor. And this family just had her into their home again and again and again. And they would discuss all kinds of things, of course, but simply share life together Rosaria Butterfield says the gospel comes with a house key. Opening your home is a way of unlocking the gospel, unlocking the treasures of God for others to come and see and explore them. The gospel leads us to throw open our doors to others. 
And when you start to look at hospitality from this angle, you see that really hospitality is not just a form of community building for the people of God, as important as that is. Hospitality is also a form of mission. In fact, hospitality is really a form of spiritual warfare. And a really important form of spiritual warfare because it's so far upstream from the culture wars that everybody else focuses on. I mean, think about this. Christians today are a strange and misunderstood minority in our culture. We seem so strange to people and so misunderstood. In fact, our culture regards us as oppressors. We live in what you could call a victim culture. The trendy worldview movement of the moment is intersectionality. It's the view that your identity is determined by how many victim statuses you can claim with righteousness and dignity being granted most, especially to those who have the greatest victimhood. So if you're part of an oppressed group, great. If you're part of two oppressed groups, even better. You're even more righteous and more dignified. Part of three oppressed groups, wow, you can do no wrong. But now we are to the point where virtually all non-Christians consider themselves victims of Christian oppression. Do you understand that? that that is how we as the church are viewed by the culture. They view us as oppressors, and they view themselves as victims of our oppression. The world does not believe it needs saving from sin. The world believes it needs saving from the Christian faith and the Christian church. The Christian church is the problem. It's those pesky Christians who just won't go away and won't shut up. They're the real problems. They're the real oppressors. Do you understand that non-Christians, the typical non-Christian today, would assume that you hate them? That's how non-Christians view the church. And that's why when we go to express our views, even if we try to do so gently and and even sometimes somewhat apologetically, when we go to express our views on the issues of the day, they think we're engaging in hate speech. They think we're haters. And so what do we do? How can you break through this? How can we break through this narrative of Christian oppression and non-Christian victimization? Well, generous, kind-hearted hospitality is one of the best ways to overcome and subvert this narrative in which Christians are the oppressors. Our best weapon in the war we've been called to fight, our best weapon is an open door and an open seat at the table. Hospitality is disarming in the way that almost nothing else is. When we invite others in, And when they get to know us and we get to know them and they come to hear about our struggles and problems and we come to hear about their struggles and problems, that's when you begin to break through the stereotypes and the accusations and the misunderstandings. That's when those misunderstandings of who we are as Christians start to get challenged and undermined and subverted hospitality breaks down our culture's identity politics and victimization narrative that treats every relationship as a power struggle and that looks at the church as the oppressor. And so I would urge you, do not think of your home as a refuge or a fortress from which you can, into which you retreat. And do not think of your home as a kind of museum in which hardly anyone is ever allowed because they might break something. No, think of your home as a weapon. 
Think of your home as a fortress and a beachhead of the kingdom of God. You're an ambassador of the kingdom of God, and that means your home is an embassy of the kingdom of God. Use your home in strategic ways in this mission God has given to us, in this battle we are called to fight. And you will know you're making a difference when you and your family become the go-to people for neighbors in need, especially non-Christian neighbors. That's when you know you're making a difference, you're doing things right, and the kingdom is growing there through your home. When you become the go-to people for others in your neighborhood when they're in need. I would say that hospitality is the single biggest key to growing the church in our day. It's not always that way, not in every era of the church. Sometimes open-air preaching does it. Other times it's some other kind of mission or mercy work. But I would say in our day, hospitality is the single biggest key to growing the church. Isn't it interesting in that passage I read in Luke chapter 14 that the gospel is presented as an invitation to dinner in someone's home. When Jesus tells a story about his ministry and and, and what he's doing in his ministry, he tells the story about an invitation to a dinner party going out. That's the form or the shape in which the gospel comes. Not an invitation to a lecture series. It's an invitation to a feast, to a banquet. It's an invitation to come have a place at the table. It's an invitation to come sit down at the table and feast together. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. The kingdom of God is a party. The kingdom of God is a feast. Think of your home as an incubator for the kingdom. A place where new Christians can be begotten and grown. You know, We have a saying, there's no place like home, and that's because there isn't. There's no place like home for the family. That's usually what we mean by that. But there's no place like the home for evangelism as well. There's no place like home because that's where hospitality happens. There's no place like home for sharing the gospel with others, for living the gospel out. There's no place like home because home is where we have an opportunity to build Christ's kingdom in unique ways. The streams of hospitality flow from the well of God's own love. An infinitely deep, endless well. The streams of hospitality flow from the well of God's own love. From the welcome that God has shown us. And now he calls us to show to others that same kind of love. That love of God that has flowed into our lives is now to flow out to others. And we're to show others the same kind of welcome and the same kind of hospitality that God has shown us. Hospitality is your opportunity to replicate and mimic The love God has shown you. The love God has poured into your life. This is your opportunity to pour that same love into the lives of others. It's your chance to get in the flow of God's love. To be a conduit of God's love to those in need. This is what God in His grace calls us to. And by God's grace, we'll do it. Let's pray together. God, you have welcomed us into your family. Help us now to welcome others into our families and even into your family as well. You have shown us hospitality. May we show hospitality to others as well. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen.